When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up, my man? You know, it's just a beautiful Monday morning in LA. It is a beautiful Monday morning. Yep. Beautiful. And I laid out, not laid out, but I sat out in the sun, meditated with the beautiful sun beaming down on my face it was amazing especially given that this weekend was i mean people in minnesota are gonna laugh but it was cold here it was cold for la yes it was cold for la well said um and it's a great morning to go ahead and do after impact the show where we unpack the impact yes of this week's episode with devin still dude this guy this guy i'm telling you there's something about him he's he's very special I agree. So I just watched the episode about 10 minutes ago, um, and I didn't get to see it live. I think I was, wasn't here that day. And he is so articulate, and he's such a good storyteller. Yes. He takes these um, big, complicated ideas and shrinks them down into this like perfect metaphor that you can just easily digest. He's great. It, 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 I was really blown away by him. I did not know what to expect. Um, I knew about his daughter's story. So for those that don't know, um, in the early days, it was we were bringing people onto the show that I already knew. They blew me away, and they'd inspired me, and I wanted to bring mm-hmm. you know them on. And then after, I mean, God, between Inside Quest and Impact Theory now, we've been doing this for almost three years. So yeah. at some point, you run out of like easily accessible people that I already know. So yeah. we have these pitch meetings, and they present people, um, they being very specifically Christopher and Courtney, um, people that they think could really smash on the show. And so Devin was somebody that I didn't know before the pitch. And Christopher was like, what this guy went through with his daughter was just absolutely insane. Like mm-hmm. you, I think this guy would really do well. And so I didn't know what to expect. NFL player, you know, being like, being amazing on the football field and being able to explain your ideas are not necessarily skill sets that go hand in hand. So yeah going into his world and seeing how articulate he is and how he's able to do that with those concepts was, it was so much fun, dude. I really, really had a good time with this guy. Yeah. And then rewatching the episode, I was just like, God, this, there, there is, when you think that he's at the beginning of his career as a speaker, as an educator, 
and seeing how good he already is, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Is that what surprised you most about the episode? No. What surprised me most about the episode was how effective his insights are. Mm. And rewatching it today, I was like, God damn, like this guy's like really got amazing ways to think about your life. Amazing. Like the whole crayon thing, which I assume we'll get into. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. Powerful. Yeah. I want to start with. So in the intro, you list off all of the injuries he's gone through in his career, starting in high school, playing football. And I just, I, I, I was like, how does anyone come back Good. from that? How do, they, how do they then go on to be successful? And he's, he's living proof. So I wanted to ask, first, how did that hit you when you were doing your research? What did that make you think about him? And then second, like, what does repeated injury look like in business? And how do you get through that? Wow, what a fun thing to think through. Um, so let me answer the easy part first. So going through, it really did strike me how many times he had had like catastrophic injuries. Yeah, career ending. Career ending. Yeah. From the time he's like 15. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just one after the other after the other. And except for it, the only one that I, the reason I said, and most of them career ending is because he broke his toe. Dude, but even that required surgery, okay? Mm -hmm. So this guy, the number of injuries that he's had where people were just like, bro, I feel for you, man. But this this is it. Like, you're never going to... I'm not even sure you're going to walk again. Right. So you're definitely not going to play again. And then he would come back and come back and come back. It's just pure insanity. So I was like, all right, this guy is beyond tenacious. And grit. I mean, that that's just something obviously that I'm I'm really inspired by. So mm-hmm. that hit me right off the bat. Now, what is the the correlate in business? Um, there's financial failure. That's probably like that catastrophic, you're never coming back from this moment. Is that it's really losing in a very meaningful, very quantifiable way. Mm-hmm. And that that's the thing that you see break entrepreneurs is they'll end up having a really, really big failure and you just think they're not coming back from this. And it's not, it's not even the money, man. It's how they view themselves. And I heard somebody, um, they had asked a, a famous investor and I don't remember, honestly, I don't remember the person asking the question or the investor, but I remember the story very, very well. And they said, you know, oh, you just, um, I think it was um, Entrepreneur on Fire. John Lee John Dumas. Lee Dumas yeah. So he had he was talking to this investor and he said, "Hey, um, talking about this this guy that he had invested in lost like I don't know seven million dollars, just something crazy." And John Lee goes, "Oh, I bet you'll never work with that guy again." And the investor said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, stop right there! I just paid seven million dollars for this guy's education. I believe in the guy. I think he's sharp. I think he's super hardworking. So the fact that now mm-hmm. he's had this failure tells me that he's learned something. And so if as an entrepreneur, which Unlike somebody who you break your bone, you blow out your knee, like it, it gets harder and harder given the current state of uh, regenerative medicine to actually come back as good as ever from something like that. But in business, you really can. And it just comes down to what do you let those, those breaks do to you? And I think it was um, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Come on, the author. Oh, man. Um, I want to say Churchill, but I know it's not that, even though he was an author, which most it, people don't know. Isn't that... Uh, yes. Yes, it's him. He drank a lot. He lived in Cuba. Tennis, Tennyson. No, the, come on. The bell tolls? Then I've got Hemingway? the wrong title. 
Who, uh, You're thinking of Hemingway. Yes, thank you. But I don't think that's for whom the bell tolls. Okay, I'll assume because you know more about literature than I do looking up. it up. All right, so anyway, Hemingway said, all of us break, but some of us grow stronger in the places that broke. And that that is very true mentally. It's not always true physically, but mentally it's absolutely true. And so in business, in life, if you have these catastrophic moments of just... You're right, it's a- anyway. Sorry. Wow. I'm <laughs> stoked. So if you have these moments of just like catastrophic uh, emotional injury, can you reframe it? Can you come back in a way that makes you stronger? And right now I'm researching Jewel. Motherfucker, this chick is unbelievable. The singer. Yeah. I'm totally freaked out. The way that she goes like in her life, she's had the emotional equivalent of Devin Stills' physical injuries. And the way that she conceptualizes and comes back, it's the same thing you see in Devin. It's the same thing you see in great entrepreneurs. Can you come back stronger in the places that broke? Do you learn from it? If you do, you're going to be fine. That's awesome. Um, all right. And the, the way that he talks about how he came back was he had all these um, experts, right? These leading physicians, doctors telling him like, this is it. Sorry, you're done. Thanks for playing. You can go home now. And He ignored that advice, and he said, I'm going to figure out a way to come back. All right, so Devin still came back from all of these career-ending injuries, and part of the reason he was able to do that is because he ignored the advice of experts, these doctors who were treating him and said, sorry, thanks for playing. You're never going to be able to play football again. And he just went against that advice. So how do you know when to ignore the experts? I think the answer is... If they're telling you something that doesn't jive with what you want to be true, the answer is always. Okay. The only reason it would ever make sense to believe them is if you could actually do more damage by continuing. So I remember there's a story, I think it was about Lee Priest, who's a famous bodybuilder, and um, he had been diagnosed with a heart condition, and they said, like, putting your heart under a lot of pressure, like literal pressure, which you... Um, There's certain exercises that you do in the gym that build up a lot of internal pressure. And they said doing that could cause you to have a massive heart attack and die. So you need to really be careful. And because he was so pissed that it was something that could potentially impact his professional career, he went and leg pressed like just some ungodly amount of weight, like his max rep or whatever. Leg press maybe more than just about anything you do puts you under this insane amount of internal pressure. Hmm. And that's one time where in his own retelling of the story, he was like, that was probably really stupid. But that's one of those times where it's like, oh God, you might want to hedge your bets. But dude, nine times out of 10, becoming lethargic, doing less, backing off is almost never the right answer. Hmm. So there are things that, a doctor could tell me where I would be like, okay, even though taking their advice may go against what I want to do, I might listen, but the the overwhelming majority <laughs> of times, I would just absolutely, what is my goal? And, and I would go after that. Because unless going after it is the thing that's going to kill you, you might as well try to rehab it. I mean, sure. be intelligent, push. Like the, the body... The mind, 100% of the time, 100% of the time. But the body, it, it, is, it responds to stressors. It adapts to pressure. 
And so if you want to rehab it, it's, it's laying off of it for a very small amount of time. But after that, it's, you got to push, you got to get the blood flowing. You got to like really use it. So I think 99,000 times, 99,999 times um, out of 100,000, the right answer is to intelligently begin to put yourself back under the pressure and push and ignore people that are telling you it can't be done. And that's the same for business. Oh, that then it's just 100,000 out of 100,000. Like there's no reason not to try. So business is trying kill you. something is going to put your business at risk to where it could cause you to go under. Yeah, I mean, look, termination events, there's almost always a smart way to try something. So you're still going to try it. You're just going to try it in an intelligent way. The same goes for the physical stuff. I'm not saying go do the leg press. Um, Certainly not your max. Work your way back up. But what I'm saying is don't let the idea that you can't come back creep into your mind. So getting yourself back out there, pushing yourself, like... There, this is a true story. There is a woman out there who, when she was like 12 or 13, had a brain scan and realized, drum roll, please, she only had half a brain. Now, she had no idea. Until she was 12 or 13, no one would have guessed that she was missing, not it was underperforming, it did not develop an entire hemisphere of her brain. So it's like, come on, if that woman is normally functioning and people don't realize and she only has half a brain, like what exactly would have to happen to you where you don't even try? So you try in intelligent fashion, mm-hmm. always hedge your downside, make sure that you're protecting yourself from a terminal event, all of that stuff for sure, for sure, for sure. If you need more on that, read about Richard Branson. Absolutely incredible. The guy is always protecting his downside. But he's also built $7 billion companies. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. You and Devin really think about failure in much the same way, I noticed in the interview. Talk to me about how, you know, like, like what is the importance of failure in business? What is the importance of failure in life? Because he, had a, he brought up a lot of really strong points, I think, in regards to that. So uh, failure is this bizarrely complicated thing. So in the way that humans interpret it emotionally, mm-hmm. which is the pain is good but only if you know how to leverage it. The pain makes you look at it. The pain makes you desperate to not experience it again. But then the path bifurcates and it becomes, well, I never want to experience that pain again, so I'll never put myself in that situation. Or I never want to experience that pain again, so I better get a whole lot better. Now, if you go down that I'm never going to put myself in that situation again, one thing is how you do everything. And so all of a sudden your life is just tiny and all of your dreams never came true because you just kept avoid, 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 avoid. If you take the other path, learn, 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 then all of a sudden you get incredibly powerful. But the reason I say that it's complicated is because of the way that we respond to just the emotion. The emotion is all-consuming. It can be blinding. So that makes it confusing. But really, truly, failure is so fucking simple. And it's this. It's an experiment. You ran an experiment. The experiment did not work. Okay, awesome. But that, there, that is so information-rich when an experiment works, it, it is actually less information dense than when it doesn't work because of the host of questions that it has this knock-on effect of asking, which is, okay, it didn't work, but why didn't it work? When it works, even though people are often wrong about why it worked, you don't ask yourself any questions. You just think, what I did worked, so keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. When it doesn't work and you can see it as a failed experiment, then all of a sudden, you if you're really... Um, 
rising above the emotion, you, you go down the path of trying to isolate why it didn't work. So if you could remove out the emotion, I actually think you're in a bad situation because you won't have the impetus to act to avoid that pain, but the emotion confuses things. So if you can learn how to leverage that emotion merely as a catalyst for action, then take the failure and realize that it's information rich and then explore that information, then make it a part of your thinking, and then run the next experiment. If you're doing that over and over and over, then you can do something extraordinary. And what I liked about what Devin was talking about is in practice, you fail, 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 because, and it's important to understand why you're failing, because you take yourself to the edge of your ability where you get into that gray area where you can do it sometimes, but not every time. You're not quite sure. You've gotten out of your zone. And I try to live there. Like I'll even live there with my vocabulary where I'm like, I think this is what the word means, but I'm not worried about like if I fuck it up. I'm just not worried about that. And that not worrying about what other people think is such a profound gift because then it's like, I look at people's reaction. Was that? Nope. Wasn't the right word. Like I remember the first time I used ubiquitous. I can't remember how I used it, but I was using it in, in just the absolute wrong way. And because I used it and somebody was like, uh, I don't think that's what you mean. <laughs> like that sting of like, oof, that was embarrassing. But okay, cool. Now I know what ubiquitous means, right? right. And it's mine forever. So that's how failure should work if you really want to get great. And so Devin talking about, you know, in practice, we get at that edge, we fail, 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 we learn, it's information rich. Then in the game, we've experienced that so much, then you go back to what you can execute well. And then, you know, you've, you've lived through those 10,000 cycles that you just know what to do. That's great. All right, I want to talk about the crayons now. The crayons. This is a super powerful story, and it made me wonder... Well, first, I want to get just your thoughts and your reaction to that story because I know it hit you really, really hard. Um, but also, when you're leading a team in business, how do you know when it's the right time to push the team to reach for the crayons themselves or to help them get the crayons? Wow, man. So first of all, the crayon story, for anybody that doesn't remember, Devin's daughter, Leah, had just come out of like seven-hour surgery, and the doctor said, look, over the next couple of days, it's important that she start to move. And she finally, after a couple of days, because she, she wasn't even talking, she finally starts talking, and she asks her dad, can you hand me the crayons that were at the end of her bed? And he like all but jumps out of his chair to like grab the crayons and hand them to her, and halfway there, he realizes, wait a second, this is her moment to prove to herself how strong she really is. And so I'm going to make her get the crayons herself. And she looks at him like he's out of his mind, like she's just had this crazy surgery and she's obviously in a lot of pain. And he, like in his heart, wants to grab the crayons for her. Sure. But he knows if I do that, then she's not going to learn something about herself. So he makes her get it and she struggles and tries and finally she grabs the crayons. And I, he said in the middle of it, like, is this the right time? Mm -hmm. Like, should I wait? Should I do it tomorrow? And he said, what stopped him was realizing that tomorrow is the most deadly word in the dictionary because it's, it never comes. It, you can always put things off till tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. So he's like, we're going to do this right now. And she finally does grab it. And he said, in her face, you could see she did learn something about herself in that moment. So in a business context, I don't know that you ever know. And so my thing is, I just lean on always pushing. And I kind of struggle with this, man. And so when I really think about what my innate desires are, 
My innate desire isn't to lead. Hmm. My innate desire is to put my headphones on and to see what I can accomplish, to solve problems, to just go all in. And I lead because I have to. I lead because you just can't do much by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I am I'm in this weird intersection of I prize succeeding as a team far more than succeeding by myself. Emotionally, it's just way more gratifying to me to be surrounded by people that I care about, to like all be like, whoa, we did this together. And I get, it isn't truly equal, I'm not gonna lie, but I get almost as much joy cheering somebody on when they crush it as I get when I'm crushing it myself. Mm-hmm. So because it is such an overwhelmingly positive thing for me to be able to cheer people on, I need to be a part of that group. But when I think about like my natural tendencies to lead, I just want motherfuckers to want it like I want it. I want them to rise up and realize like you've just got to go all out. But it's because I want it. Now, everything I say has to be taken like with that frame of reference that I love the things that I pursue, that the joy of going all out for something, even when I fail, like that is the juice for me. So I just wanna push the team all the fucking time, like because honestly, it's like, that's the filter. I don't have fucking time to drag people around. So if you're not gonna go hard, then that's just not gonna be fun for me. You're gonna hold me back. You're not gonna let me accomplish what I want. And then the thing that's really gonna give me the joy is seeing you really go for something and then smash it. So that's where I default is just push, push, push. Mm -hmm. Now, I only push for things that I actually think are possible. Doing the like, I love moving the goalposts, but only because it's, I move them as I realize more is possible than I thought, or now we're capable of more than we were before, but I don't just move them arbitrarily like the carrot that is forever out of reach to you know, keep the donkey moving. That's, that really is not how I think about it. Um, so yeah, the, the very short answer is push, push, push. Yeah, I'd just like to tell a brief story about Please. that. So when we were launching the company, this was... Ooh, November 2016, I think. We're preparing to launch in January. We're getting everything ready. We're all super busy. There's just seven of us at this time. Um, I remember uh, you had texted me. I think we were trying to ramp our content volume, especially on Instagram. We were doing like two posts a day. We were trying to get the three posts a day. <laughs> and you were like, why aren't we at three posts a day yet? And I was like, and I was, we were just grinding at that time. And I'm going... Man, we just got to two posts a day. And so I was texting back and forth. I'm like, yes, I want to get us to three posts a day. We're working on it. We have, I was like kind of giving excuses, but also <laughs> kind of saying like, yeah, I agree with you. We want to be there and we'll get there soon. And you were like, look, when you're playing, I think you said something like you're having a, you know, an all-star level performance right now with this company launch. And when you can demand more of yourself and do even more, that's when like true champions are made. And it just totally reframed the whole thing for me. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you were mad that we weren't there yet. It wasn't that you weren't appreciative of how far we've come, but you were like, now see if you can go even farther. And then we ended up getting there in another couple of days. And it was just an awesome moment. So I had to share that. Nice, man. That's rad. I love hearing that. All right. Um, Devin talks about uh, one thing is in his play, playbook is having fun. And you didn't talk about it too much in the interview, but it sounds like there were some 
really great moments with his daughter when they were going through chemo together and he they were doing sort of like touchdown dances or something in the hospital. Yeah, they they would just dance. So yeah. they would dance in the car. They would dance like anywhere and everywhere. And he said that there was a cycle. I don't remember the, the timing of it, but there was a cycle. You do so many days on. And then if I remember right, it was 21 days off. And he said, so at the end of every cycle, we would celebrate like we just won the Super Bowl. And he said, you know, and in fact, he had an even more powerful story to go along with that, where he'd been for the first month, he just stayed in the hospital. Um, and then he took one night off. I don't remember why, but he went to his wife's house, I think. And they were having a party or his wife's like brother's house or something. They were having a party anyway. And somebody said something funny and he laughed and then immediately caught himself and, and said, what are you doing? Like your daughter's in the hospital. She's got cancer. Like there's nothing funny. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I do that, if I force us to be somber all the time and we don't find the beauty and we don't find moments of joy, we're never going to make it through this. Mm. And so we've got to remember to have fun. It's got to be a construct. It's got to be something that we breathe into this daily existence. And from that moment on, he said they just focused on having a good time whenever they could, always looking at the optimistic, positive side of things. And he said in, in embodying that, they were able to stick it, stick it through. And I just thought that that is so powerful and mm -hmm. embodying positive things, embodying the emotions that you want in not only allowing yourself, but demanding that you find the joy, the beauty, the playfulness, the fun. That's really, really critical. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think because we're so conditioned, especially in moments of, you know, grief around uh, tragedy or illness to be sort of stoic or somber, right? And so that's super powerful. How do you think about inserting fun into impact theory here? Well, this is a lesson I learned at Quest. Laughter is a metric. Mm. And by that, I mean, it's as an organization gets big, it is really hard to steer. And if you've ever driven a boat, it's like that. In a boat, you turn the steering wheel and nothing happens. And then three seconds later, oh, I am turning. And so, wow, you have to really get good at that because there's a delay between stimulus and response. Mm. So one thing I was like, okay, there are a lot of hard metrics that are easy to look at, turnover rate, things like that. But the softer metric of like the number of people that will suffer in silence is absolutely terrifying. And so how do you judge? Do you send out questionnaires? Yes, that helps, but it's certainly not the end all be all. And so one thing I just started thinking about was, all right, I'm going to judge by how much laughter I just hear. Do I hear laughter? Are people laughing? Do they seem like they're having a good time? Do we facilitate laughter? Do we go, like, do you give somebody a dirty look when you walk by their cubicle and they're laughing? <laughs> you know, or is it like, that you foster that, celebrate it, and, and really make it a thing. And so here at Impact Theory, it's like, okay, now for the first time in my life, I get to build it exactly the way I want it. It is from the ground up. My vision of like what life should be like. Now, I don't believe in balance. I think everybody's well aware of that. But you spend over 50% of your waking hours at your job. And I think one of the fastest routes to hating your life is to hate your job. Mm -hmm. Now... As an employer who used to be an employee, I'm so aware of that. And I live, in, I, I live in absolute terror of people being at my company and like even, just follow me for a minute because I'm going to derail. Even that, those words sound disgusting in my mouth. 
like our company. I want people to think of it as a team. Sure. Like I want them to be happy and having fun and feel a sense of ownership mm -hmm. and, and to laugh and to like make sure. So we made a calendar of celebrations, things that this company just stops for a second and we shake our ass. So you've got, um, May the 4th because of Star Wars. You've got March 31st because of The Matrix. You've got, we do a kickoff to the summer season and a few other things. And we'll do our birthday, January 4th. Mm -hmm. And like, we really, we actually map out a calendar to make sure that we take moments to celebrate and have a good time and enjoy each other's company. And then every fucking week we do team lunch. And team lunch, it's funny saying this to you, I have to like imagine people listening because obviously you know all this, but team lunch is really important to Lisa and I. And, and we were talking about this in the beginning and saying, okay, we need to like bake something into the culture where it's like, it's not about work. It's literally about enjoying the people that you're around, taking a minute to bond, getting to know people. So team lunch, we don't talk about work at all. And we literally just storytell. And every, like, and it happens totally informally, but people will kick it off with um, some topic. What are you doing this weekend? The Oscars are coming up. What's a movie that's impacted you? And it just ends up going down these crazy fun rabbit holes, often driven by Dr. Finesse, yeah. who is just an unbelievable storyteller. And that is, I think, one of the things that inoculates us from the hard times that are inevitably coming. And when I project out, it's like, over the life of any company, there's going to be ups and downs. But if you trust each other, you like each other, and you're having fun, you'll survive. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Um, a few more questions here. So the first is, oh, one thing that really struck me was uh, Devin says, don't let your moments of weakness become a mindset. It's okay to have the moments of weakness, weakness and kind of sit there for a second. And if you need to be emotional, be emotional but don't let it become a mindset. So tell me more about that. Dude, that, that was so powerful. That's one of those things I was like, wow. Because we all have those moments of weakness. And speaking for myself, it's like I'm just trying to get out of them as fast as I can mm -hmm. to move on, to do my mental pachinko machine mm -hmm. and flip it around to something positive. But I never had words to put around it as succinct as that, that, Dude, those moments are absolutely fine. You don't need to be embarrassed. You don't need to run from them, experience them, live them, but don't let it be a mindset. And that's one of those like things that you can repeat in your head. And the the sheer repeatability of it is what gives it power. So yeah, man, I, I was blown away by that. I think that especially seeing this guy, I mean, he is he is a wall of a human being. This dude is so big. He's big, yeah. Big. Like his hands, dude. <laughs> Fucking just cans of meat. Like this, oh, fuck. He literally is strong. And so to see this wall of humanity in so many interviews that he did about his daughter cry. Mm -hmm. And him not be ashamed of that and him be able to do that. Um, but be tough as nails at the end of the day. I, I just love that. And I think that that's the truth of the human experience. That's awesome. All right. The other thing he said that I really liked was it was around um, setting a vision and achieving your goal. And he said that, you know, um, goals are often intangible. And so you can think about what that looks like. Um, but really, the important thing is to focus on the feelings of achieving your goal and then to weigh those feelings against the feelings you currently have. And so tell me more about that and what you thought of it. 
I, I think that that's really, really powerful. And when I was um, researching Eric Barker, and right now I'm forgetting the acronym, but... Um, Whoop. Whoop, yes, thank you. So same thing, right? Wish, outcome, obstacle, plan. And he said the point of doing all of that, of going through and identifying those things that are, you know, that would lead to your dream, when you think about the path you would have to walk, the skills you would have to gain, the like things you would have to train in, when you think through that, are you filled with energy or dread? If you're filled with energy, fuck yeah, get after it. And that's what I think about with building the studio or even just like the grander notion of pulling people out of the matrix. So going around, speaking, looking people in the eye, doing my Q&As, like all of those things fill me with energy. They fill me with joy. The thought of doing that, touching people's lives, getting to hear from them, how it's impacted them, that's fucking awesome. Um, going this weekend to the comic book store and knowing that that was work, that I actually was doing market fucking research <laughs> in a comic book store. I was like, this is hilarious. Now, I'm sure that there are some people for whom that would be absolute torture. But for me, it was so much fun, like responding to a cover or flipping through and looking at the artwork and needing to know who are the writers, who are the artists, like... Like, what's it like for these kids behind the counter to be running this store? Like, what do they think? What would motivate them? How could I get their attention and get them to, like, push and promote a book? Like, I'm doing market research, but doing something I would do for free anyway. It's like, when you think through that and you're either filled with, oh, my God, the thought of achieving that is so exciting for me that I can hardly control myself, or, oh, my God, the thought of doing that is torturous. And I have absolutely no interest in doing that. That is so powerfully clarifying. And the fact I'd, I'd asked him a few questions to like really get at something and he kept coming back to that. And I thought it really is powerful. Mm -hmm. Like just fantasize about it for a second. Do you get amped? Like I'll be honest, even though I have moved away from chasing money and all of that, when I was dirt poor, I would get in my 1983 Toyota Celica with the door smashed in and I would drive into Bel Air and I would drive up here um, to where I live now and I would just look at the big houses and get amped, dude. And the thought of like achieving that was intoxicating. And so there were many times where in the storm of failing, of just being terrified that I was in over my head and I had no idea what I was doing, you just cling to that, to the energy of just like, what would this be like if I really did it? Like, I will tell you, so Lisa and I both gave, we gave our families money, but there was one dinner where we took our moms out and flew her mom in from England, flew my mom in from Tacoma, and... We were um, in Vegas at our favorite buffet <laughs> and we handed them, we gave them each like the speech, thanking them for everything that they'd done and then handed them these checks with commas and zeros. And, mm -hmm. um, and just like that moment, man, thinking about that moment when I was poor, like what it would be like, like that's the shit that gets you through the times, the hard times, the, the just slog, the things that other people aren't willing to do, but you've got to really imagine it, hold on to it, think about it, like, and then drive towards it. But if you don't have that vision, if there's nothing in your life that you want like that, you're never going to get it. I just read this Muhammad Ali quote, and he said, champions are driven by something deep inside. And the quote's longer than that, but that's the, the punchline. 
And I've been thinking about this a lot lately as I'm writing the book and thinking about how do you really hand this off to people? And the reality is, in fact, I'm going to sum up everybody listening. The thing that you need to do in order to achieve the way you want to achieve inside of you is a little seed. It's already there. It's the one thing that I will say. And if it's not there, you need only go encounter more things. Most of us, though, have encountered things in our life that have planted a seed of mild interest. Can you cultivate that seed into something big, into a field of wheat or trees or whatever the metaphor is that you want to use? But that seed, or the one that I like to use, that slightly smoldering ember, can you do the mechanisms of turning that into a fire? You don't just blow on it. You don't just put kindling on it. You don't just feed it once. Like really think about what it would take to build a raging inferno, like one of those bonfires that are like a story or two stories tall that just like, it, it's going out and getting the wood, it's setting them up in a certain way so that oxygen can still reach it. I mean, it, it is a process, it's, it's a conscious act, it doesn't happen accidentally. Mm -hmm. And so everyone listening right now, whatever that thing is in your life, your job is to take it from small ember to raging inferno, from seed to mature plant. Like that, that's the job. And so when you imagine what it would be like in its final form, if it excites you, give it everything you got. Love it. All right. After hearing Devin talk about how he would print out the blog posts of people who were saying he's never going to come back from injury and put them up on the wall at the gym where he's working out. I've, I'm fully now bought into the idea of having a chip on your shoulder as motivation. Yes. So how do you find your chip? Man, maybe, maybe it's just me. My chip finds me every day. So I've got people that have told me that I wouldn't be able to do it. I've had people look me in my eye and wish me ill verbally, like not like I had to guess. Um, I've had people threaten to blackmail me. I, I, dude, like on and on and on. They go on the list. And I've had people wish me well, but want to um, warn me that what I was trying was never gonna work. Uh, I can't tell you how many people and one person in particular who said like, it's too late, dude. The, the, um, the podcasting is, it's done. The players are already there. Like you're, it, you're just not gonna be able to come in and create the kind of following that you want. And he said it with so much compassion, but he's on the list. And then it's like just literally on Thursday, I had a moment where I had been invited to an event and other people had also been invited to the event and the promotional flyer that they created did not have me on it, did not mention me, but it mentioned the other people. And I thought, okay, I'm not the draw. I printed that fucking thing out so that I could have it as a chip. Like, I want to be the draw. I want to be the front and center. I want to be the reason that people show up. And you've got to earn it. Like, you've got to be willing to look at that and accept. Like, it hurt when I saw the flyer. And you've got to let it hurt. 
You've got to lean into that. You've got to say, okay, I'm not where I want to be yet. And to give you an idea, so one, they totally fucked up the times. So they told me to be there at a certain time I got there and they're like, you're walking on stage now. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's not like what anybody told me. And I normally like to get in my Zen place. Like mm-hmm. I really like have this whole preparation thing. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 you're, you're walking up now. Is that okay? And you know me. My answer is always yes. Yep. So I'm like, it is absolutely perfect. I'm ready. Let's fucking do this. And oddly enough, a wave of calm washed over me. Because I'm like, There's, there is only doing it or accepting defeat. So I'm like, obviously I'm doing it. Let's go. Yeah. And they're like, do you have slides? And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to use my slides. And I just went out there and I fucking like went in, dude. Like raw, emotional, fucking just laid it out. And someone who we both know and who I respect tremendously came up to me afterwards and was like, I don't know what happened, but since I saw you speak last, he said, you've tenfolded. He was like, that was incredible. And that came from that fucking chip, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, you know me, it's 80-20. You cannot spend more than 20% of your time with the chip, focusing on the chip, being angry or anything. But in those moments where you just have to pull something out of yourself and the beauty just isn't getting at it, then that's when you've got to lean on it. And that to me, like it's one day I'm going to write a book called The Advanced Class. And it's all these things that I always tell people, "Ah, that's advanced class shit, holding two competing ideas in your head, right? Mm -hmm. All that. But knowing when to lean on the darkness while advanced class shit, you will never, you will never accomplish what you want in life until you're able to do that. You just won't. You'll never play at an elite level. So I'm very happy as somebody who I think is capable of truly extraordinary shit. I'm very happy to hear that you've embraced the dark side. <laughs> Good, it's amazing. Thank you. Get that chip. All right, last question. Where do you think Devin still is going next? Now, he, he owns the fucking future. This kid, I'm telling you right now, you can't find him on YouTube. But the little pieces that you can find are so extraordinary he, he's going to create something. He's going to be, he, where he's going is um, like a corporate trainer, speaker thing. Mm-hmm. He'll fucking smash. He will absolutely smash. And if you give him 10 years, he, he'll be a beast. 100% guaranteed. His ability to storytell in a, in a structured environment, you have brought me in, you've paid me to be a speaker, and within the confines of your organization, I'm going to tell my stories. He can do it. He delivers, man. And that's at the beginning where he's going to be in 10 years will be extraordinary. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it for today's After Impact. There it is. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. These are always a lot, a lot of fun. I am eternally grateful for what this community is becoming. It is absolutely beautiful. And when you guys meet me out and about, I'm telling you right now, I love it when you come up and say hello. I love it when you ask for a photo. I love it when you tell me stories about how the content has helped you with a hard time in your life. That stuff is so, so meaningful to me. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this community. It is extraordinary. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. 
Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.